Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. This episode is brought to you by AARP. 16 years from today, Greg Gerstner will finally land the perfect cannonball. Epic Splash. Unsuspecting friends. A work of art only possible because Greg is already meeting all these same people at AARP volunteer and community events that keep him active and involved and help make sure his happiness lives as long as he does. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org local. Hello and welcome into this Monday Scramble podcast. Lisa Cornwell, Randall Mel. I guess starting off with the Olympics closing ceremony taking place last night. I think a lot of us kind of wondered what kind of impact golf being back in the Olympics for the first time in 112 years would be. There were a lot of question marks. What was your takeaway? Yeah, Lisa, I was very curious to see how golf would come out in the Olympics because when it was first announced, I wasn't a fan. I didn't see you know, golf fitting in the Olympics and, and the whole argument about, you know, the majors are what's most important. So I was skeptical, but when I watched, I was, I think, like a lot of people, I was won over. I was blown away, actually. I was enthralled by it. Once I started watching, I could not stop watching, and it was different than anything else. It, um, it just, it felt different, and, and the idea of a gold medal, I guess, uh, at the end of it uh, was thrilling, but also the way the players got so involved in the Olympics, uh, I think, through Bubba's eyes, through Ricky Fowler's eyes, we came to appreciate the total Olympic experience and what it was like for them to be a part of the whole thing. And that was enthralling, too. Neither one of us were fortunate enough to witness it all firsthand. Rex Hoggard, he was, and he is just back from Rio, joining us on the phone after making the long trip home. Hello, Rex. How are you? Good morning, guys. Yeah, I think I'm with Randy. It was an amazing experience, but uh, a lot like Randy and probably a lot of people, it was going to be something of an experiment going down. You, you didn't know what to expect. You didn't know how the players were going to re react. I mean, we go to 72 holes, so play tournaments every week, but we always knew this was going to be different, and it, you saw it across the board. I mean, not only, I think Justin Rose probably said it best after he had won the men's competition last week, saying that it would be easy for him to sit on the stage with a gold medal and talk about how experience, how, how much the experience meant to him, he immediately went to, even if I didn't win a medal, even if I didn't have a great week, they all kind of came away, every player came away with that unique experience of being an Olympian. I'll be honest, I wasn't a fan of the format in the beginning, and I think that this is definitely something that, that we should discuss because it, it seemed to be in the beginning like it was just like every other 72-hole stroke play tournament However, after watching it for two weeks, the men and the women, I'm not so sure I would want it to change in four years. I guess let's go around the horn. and um, Because there was something about the individual pride. It makes it a little bit different from the Ryder Cup and the Solheim Cup, the President's Cup, the International Crown. Um, and to see these individuals kind of really taking it on their own and making it personal. Jorina Pillar is such a great example, very emotional. And I'm not sure if it had been a team environment if that had been the same, maybe so. It's just speculation. But, um, Rex, I know that you've written some stuff about the format, maybe some changes that you would like to see for the next go-around. Hopefully there is a next go-around. What are your thoughts on that? Well, uh, and I agree with you. I mean, again, I think there was a lot of pushback when they went originally went with 72 holes of stroke play. Everyone kind of wanted something a, a little bit more bold, you know, a little bit maybe different. And to the IGF credit, yeah, I, you have to look at their first – 
this was going to be the first time in over 100 years golf was played in the Olympics. They had to play it a little bit safe. They couldn't get real crazy about how they went with the format. And I think after this time, most people are happy with it, the way it played out. But I spoke with Peter Dawson just yesterday afternoon after the completion of the women's event, and he said that when they'll go back to the ITF and they'll start talking about possible format changes and maybe adding a, two, a two-person team element to it. And if you can, if you start looking to 2020 in Tokyo and you have more daylight, you can start thinking about playing the men and the women during the same week and just kind of flipping the sides. You know, it's only 120 players. We do that every week in golf. And that would give them time to add a couple of days maybe on the back end for a team element. You know, Rex, when I, when I first uh, heard about the Olympics, golf in the Olympics, I thought, and, and 72 stroke, whole stroke play, I was like a lot of people, you know, boring, that same old thing. Um, and I thought match play would work best because match play, there's winning and losing every hole. There's, uh, you don't have that sort of 54-hole jockeying for position. It's, it's more dramatic. Someone gets eliminated right away. Someone loses a hole right away, and more drama. But as I watched it, here I am watching on Thursday players, or Wednesday in the women's case, pl players fist-pumping in the first round, and it just did have a more dramatic feel to it. And I thought, uh, and I know, uh, Rex, uh, a big reason for this format was to kind of assure the first time around that the stars were there at the end, that you, you didn't in some typical match play events get all your stars eliminated before it's even like quarterfinals. Um, but, you know, what, what were your thoughts on that, Rex, were, and how did it play out for you? Well, and I think you're right. I think there was a passion right from the opening round. The part that I found most compelling, and, and it, it happened with the men and the women, is, you know, on any given week, whether it's a PGA Tour event or an LPGA event, someone will have a great Sunday, and they'll finish tied third after coming from the pack and shoot 63 on Sunday. And it, they, we never talk about it, because all it really is is a bigger check, right? I mean, unless there's a, a larger narrative to it. But in this particular case, I mean, what happened, for example, with Matt Kuchar? On Sunday, the men's competition, he shoots a final round 63 and wins a bronze, wins a bronze medal. It's an element that we never really think about in golf, and it was the same thing. Even though NB Park was running away with the gold medal, still had this intense competition for who was going to take bronze, who was going to take silver, and it just added something to it that I've never covered. I mean, certainly mountain golf, and it was really a cool element that I think going forward, you don't want to get rid of that. I think the individual stroke play is here to stay. But as Peter Dawson told me, that IOC has no problem handing out more medals. They don't want to add more athletes. But, so you, I think you can kind of almost envision how they're going to expand the games in 2020 and beyond. What about the impact that this is going to have on the game of golf? And it may be some time before we fully realize it, but I was having this conversation last night on Central that watching it was so much fun because the golf fans, they were different. And I'm not talking about from the aspect of, cameras going off and phones and it was more like their facial expressions like you could tell there were a lot of people in there in the crowds who had never seen a golf shot hit in person I remember one instance in particular when Stinson just ripped a three wood and there was this girl in the background and I mean her face was just like what just happened you know it's like she was watching the space shuttle launch and I, that to me really resonated because I thought you know how many people in this crowd in this environment, environment, maybe people from Brazil, um, who have now been introduced to the game of golf, and a lot of people worldwide who were watching were introduced to the game of golf. Well, and it's amazing. So we've said all along that, you know, what, what we're trying to do here is grow the game, and the best opportunity to do that is to put golf in the Olympics. And you never, I, I think most of us never really had an idea. Give us, a, give us a really hard idea of how that was going to happen. And being on the ground and talking with people, and you're right. 
seeing 15,000 people on property for the final round of the men's competition, the vast majority who had probably never seen a golf tournament before, probably had never played golf themselves, and it was just a new experience. But it goes beyond that. I mean, after the second round of the women's competition, Ashok, uh, Aditi Ashok puts herself into contention. She's three strokes off the lead. Suddenly, all of India is interested. I, I did a Google Trends search, and almost half a million people searched her name in India. Uh, you know, after that second round, that was more than the entire country searched for anything else Olympics-related. And it gives you an idea of how big this could be if you ended up in a situation where someone won the medal, where it means so much more back home in India than it would if she were to win a women's major. And Envy Park said as much. That of her seven majors, the gold medal means more back, not necessarily to her, but back home in South Korea, that's a much more greater, a greater achievement. Yeah, two points there, Rex, too. Uh, Shanshan Fung had earlier in the week told you guys that uh, if a player from China just got a medal, it could change everything for golf in China, and sure enough, she got a bronze. Uh, but a question for you, Rex, is uh, 2017, there's an Olympic meeting in Lima, Peru. Tell us about that, and maybe tell us about how that meeting might have changed by what happened these past two weeks. I think coming into the Olympics, again, we talked about those unknowns, and there were some negatives. I mean, the fact that you had five of the top, um, four of the top five male players who didn't make the trip to Rio, it, it kind of left off with a black eye, and you didn't know what was going to happen beyond the games. That, you know, a golf is guaranteed to be in the 2020 games, but they're going to vote next year on the program, not necessarily if golf remains in or out. What they'll vote on next September in Peru is basically each program. So, it, like, the way Peter Dawson explained it to me is, there could be a scenario where the women stay in the Olympics beyond 2020 and the men don't. He doesn't envision that happening, but it gives you an idea of what they'll be looking at. And everyone I talked to after the game, everyone who had been involved with it beforehand, I think it exceeded their expectations. And you have to think that Peter Dawson, and certainly I thought one of the best interviews yesterday was uh, Suzanne Pedersen, who was part of golf's original pitch in 2009 to go into the Olympics. And I said, if you stood in front of the IOC again and you had to make another pitch, for golf remaining in the game. So what would you say? And she had a great quote. She said, anyone who has watched these two weeks and doesn't think that golf belongs doesn't have much of a sporting heart. And I just thought that was a great quote. As we see these images of MB Park rolling through and, and we have this conversation about growing the game and I want to talk about what happened in the women's competition. But I keep being drawn back to one thing that Todd Lewis tweeted during the women's competition because Todd primarily covers the PGA Tour. And he was talking about how he was blown away by the women. He was talking about Lydia and MB Park. And in the sense of growing the game, it's not just with fans who haven't seen golf before, but maybe golf fans who haven't watched the women play. Or even the media who hasn't, like Todd, who hasn't spent a lot of time around the women's game in person and how impressive these ladies are. I mean, MB Park taking a two-month absence to heal her left thumb and winning this competition by five shots over, by the way, world number one, Lydia Ko. Yeah, I, I got to be honest with you. Randy and I are going to have to have a conversation this week because he covers the LPGA Tour and I cover the PGA Tour, and we may have to talk about maybe doing a job exchange of some sort because, <laughs> I mean, I, I really enjoyed last week. I'm not saying I don't enjoy covering the men, but the, the stories were so compelling, and you're right. I mean, having Lydia Ko right there and everything that went into MV Park, she didn't even know until a month ago if she was going to be able to play in the Olympics because of the thumb injury. Uh, the thing that got me was the passion. I mean, Jarena Pillar came up short. She didn't have her best final round, and she really kind of zipped through the media mix zone is what they called it and clearly didn't want to talk to anyone. And after she had a few minutes, she stopped. And 
she did talk to reporters, and there was so much emotion and so much passion. And I'm not saying that it wasn't there on the men's side, but the personality of women's golf really came through. It, Randy, I did not know that Shen Shen Feng was so funny. She is really, <laughs> I mean, she is one of the best interviews in the business. It was fantastic. Yeah, I think she's the most underrated uh, player and personality. You didn't get to see her cow pants, Rex. You would have loved those. But, uh, uh, Rex, I wanted to ask you, too, about something you wrote about at GolfChannel.com in our After Further Review. Uh, this idea of maybe combining the men and the women in a format. Uh, uh, I, I'm sure you're talking about keeping the competition separate, but somehow having them on the course together. What, what were you thinking? Well, yeah, because if you envision, keep in mind, down in Brazil, it's wintertime, so the days were much, much shorter. So you couldn't, you know, you really needed uh, the entire day, to, even with 60 players, to get everyone around the golf course. But if you were just to go somewhere for the summer games, it's actually summer, say, Tokyo in 2020, where the days are longer, you'd have more daylight. It would be easy just to tee the women off early one day and the men late and then just flip the sides the next day. And that way you could play both of the individual competitions at the same time. And then you can come up with a way, either you can do a mixed team or you can just do a two-man team, two-woman team scenario two or three days after that fact where you would bring in a match play element. So after you determined your individual stroke play champion, you could bring in a match play element to do a team championship. And I just think it would be so compelling going forward. Let's have one more discussion on the, the Olympics before we move on to um, Ryder Cup talk, and that is um, just the overall impact. I guess maybe the, the takeaway um, from, from the, in terms of the players, in terms of this golf course, um, just kind of the final thoughts wrapping this whole thing up, Randall. Uh, I think I was on Facebook, and Craig Can, the uh, chief communications officer with the LPGA, put a uh, video up, and it was, uh, the, I believe it was when the players, the, the three medalists, were leaving the stand, and there was, it, it was amazing. There was just this media swarm of photographers all around uh, Inby and Lydia and Shanchan as they were, wherever they were making their way, and and uh, really made an impression on me because women's they don't get that they don't that they don't get that in a major but to to see that swarm around them this sort of frenzy from the media interest was amazing to me and has to be a good thing to have that kind of media interest mike Wan, the lpj commissioner had said that uh... he hoped that uh... new viewers who might have been uh... tuned in during the olympics that he could bring them back or take them to Canada in these next two weeks and then the Asian swing starts in China so we'll see uh, as far as uh, if growing the game kicks in right away with the interest in China when they go on the Asian swing. Rex, final thoughts? Yeah, I was part of that scrum. I kind of got caught up in that and it, it was amazing. I mean, there were so many photographers, so many people and, and it was just a very, very interesting moment and you know, you don't really get that in the men's game either. And just the idea that suddenly they have all this exposure and I really have to give Mike Wong and Craig King credit for how they really had everyone to buy in. I mean, I talked about the men who didn't show up. Every woman showed up, and every woman was dedicated to this, and it certainly paid off. And you can envision how people who tuned in last week, because it's the Olympics, I mean, my wife is a perfect example. She doesn't, I, I shouldn't say this on, on a company line, but she doesn't block off. I mean, she. <laughs> I won't tell. Last week's competition, and she was asking me questions and constantly texting me, and I think that shows what the Olympics can do for golf. It goes not just beyond the golf audience, but it goes beyond the sports audience. And I think that will have an impact long term. Yeah, it's really cool. And you have to think that a lot of these players who declined to go this time, 
maybe wish that they had done something differently. But we'll see. There's still uh, the opportunity in four years. Rex, thanks a lot for joining us. I'm sure you're worn out, busy two weeks, but great coverage all the way around. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks, Rex. Thanks, Rex. Talk to you soon. All right, let's move on to Ryder Cup, shall right. we? Because uh, right. we're getting close after uh, the first event of the, of the FedEx Cup playoffs, the Barclays, this week. The top eight for the U.S. will be decided as far as the automatic qualifiers. Brant Snedeker after Wyndham moved up. J.B. Holmes moved out. So there's a lot to watch this week and a lot on the line for these players. There is. I believe with the points available in this last week of qualifying on points that you could go all the way down to 21, Daniel Summerhays, who with a win mathematically could still make the team on points. So there's, there's a lot at stake here, but even more than that, um, you know, just the captain's picks are, of course, going to be interesting, and players uh, still have more time to make impressions on that. And they're going up against strong fields now with the FedEx Cup, so... Uh, some strong impressions can be made on Davis Love III, the captain. Um, really interesting here to look at some of the guys. This actually is not quite updated because, again, Brant right. Snedeker, this was before um, before yeah. Wyndham. Brant Snedeker now at number six in those stands had a really good week in Greensboro. And J.B. Holmes dropping down to ninth. But then you have Bubba Watson at 10. You have Kuchar at 11. You have Ricky Fowler at 12. And I still think that Jim Furyk's a wild card at 15. Because is anybody playing better golf than Jim Furyk right now? No, no. And you know, sometimes you get to this point in the season, and typically in these, in these quests to make Ryder Cup teams, um, you don't see players make strong charges at the end. It always seems like players are, are choking at the end it, because they all want to make it so, so badly. But here, Davis Love the third is going to have some intriguing choices and good choices. It's a good thing. He's going to leave somebody good off this team. But that's a good thing for the team rather than, you know, you're, you're sitting there with a player you're not sure of and, and you end up taking him. Uh, but here you're right. I mean, off right now we have uh, uh, Bubba Watson, Matt Kuchar, Ricky Fowler, and Jim Furyk. Those would seem like four natural choices. Uh, and Jay, look, those are spirited young guys who you mentioned. I mean, Bubba's not as young as Fowler, but he's a spirited player. People like to see him. He wears kind of the USA flag on his chest and his sleeve. He's one of those guys, but Trip Eisenhower, shockingly, made a really good point last night on Golf Central. He said, you know, people complain about Jim Furyk's record in the Ryder Cup as a reason not to pick him, but no American has a great record, right? I mean, how do you sit there and, and you look at what he's done, you look at where he finished in Wyndham, you look a couple weeks back at Travelers and what he did. I don't... I'm not saying that he is playing better golf than anyone in the world right now, but he's certainly playing as well as anybody, and he's putting better than anybody, which we all know when it comes down to match play, that's what it's all about. His form makes it impossible to ignore, uh, and it's just stunning that he could come back from this wrist surgery, yeah. coming back, not playing until May, and make this strong a run, a run so strong that he could still make the team on points. He's 15th right now, sure. and uh, there's still enough points uh, available where, this week where he, he could be in that top eight by next week. That's, that's amazing to me. But, uh, uh, yeah, good for him. He just finished fifth at the Travelers. He tied for second at the U.S. Open a month after coming back. You know, shoots that 58 at mm -hmm. Travelers. These are all things you just can't ignore. And there's some people who think that, you know, he's, he's already a, a lock to make the team. Is there a wild card on this list? I mean, you look at maybe Kevin Na, who's up to 20th. He played well 
at Wyndham. Uh, you have the young gun, Daniel Berger, who may have hurt his chances yeah. uh, a month or so ago. But anybody here, Bill Haas, that maybe Davis Love may have his, his eye on that we're not thinking about? And there's enough time yet to make an impression on Love. If somebody gets hot through these FedEx Cup playoffs, this scenario could completely change because these are big events against big competitions. Someone gets hot. And, you know, Davis Love is going to look at him. Um, yeah, Bill Haas, you know, his President's Cup appearance, and if he has a good FedEx Cup, that's a guy you can't ignore. J.B. Holmes, you know, he was strong all year, and he's just gone cold. Uh, J.B. has, uh, he had missed three cuts in a row. He's missed four of his last five. He's kind of playing himself out of it, even though he's sitting there just off in points, ninth. I mean, he could be back in the top eight again next week. So a lot, a lot can still happen. Matt Kuchar, you know, he's yeah. been so consistent. He's, you know, you would think he's on the team. And Bubba's form, uh, he was good early in the year, but since finishing second at the Cadillac, Bubba hasn't really done a whole lot. But Bubba, I think, is a little bit like Phil in that he's a guy you can't totally go on his form. Not that he's been bad. He has, he's made every cut uh, since, uh, I think, the Players' Championship, but, or since the Cadillac. But uh, he just, you know, uh, maybe one top ten in that group. He did win the Northern Trust earlier this year, uh, but just not really on form. But he's a guy who... You know, if it's a big event and he's into it, he's there. It's never an easy decision for any captain. Every time it rolls around, you always have a, a wealth of guys you can choose. Okay, let's go to the other side and, and talk about the European team. Darren Clark saying that his, uh, his group is the underdog. Nobody's buying that one, but it's well done by the captain. Uh, a little bit different for the European side because they go off a couple different lists. They go European points and then world points. Uh, you can see, obviously, there who is leading what. Rafa Cabrera-Bello had a nice showing um, in the Wyndham. Andy Sullivan, a great young player who is doing a lot. Matthew Fitzpatrick. So um, is this going to be an easier decision for Darren Clark in terms of captain's picks than perhaps Davis has? Not completely. And here, the thing about their uh, points uh, is that there's still a week to qualify, but it's already set. Nobody outside the top nine can crack it. So these nine that we're looking at are there. And the interesting thing about these nine is that five of them are rookies. Five of them are European to rookies. So maybe, maybe they should be underdogs, even though it's just hard to look at. I don't know. It's hard to look at the Americans as underdogs either. Uh, you know, Amer you think the Americans should win everything. History with, makes with, them underdogs. Yeah, you look, you look at the talent that they bring to every Ryder Cup, you think, how, how do they lose? But, yeah, there's five rookies. Danny uh, Willett, Chris Wood, Cabrera Bello, Andy Sullivan, Matthew Fitzpatrick. Five rookies. And, and here's the thing about it. If you look at captain's picks for Darren Clark, um, you know, he's got, he's got to be thinking Lee Westwood and Martin Keimer because of their experience in the Ryder Cup and, and just the nature of the players they are. Graham McDowell's form's been off. But then there are two um, young players, um, Thomas Peters and Russell Knox, uh, who are playing really well and in great form. Thomas Peters finished fourth at the uh, Olympics. If they added another medal, a copper medal, <laughs> he, he would have had that. But he went right from there to uh, the Czech Masters and nearly won it. So he's making a strong bid to make the team. Russell Knox won the Travelers um, event and er, in a, late last year uh, won a WGC event. So these are players that if Clark picks one of them, all of a sudden half of his team are rookies. All right. A lot to discuss on this Monday because there's a lot going on. Yesterday was so important. The last regular season event on the PGA Tour, the Barclays is this week, and the first event 
of the FedEx Cup playoffs at Bethpage Black, so it definitely will be interesting. We were watching as things kind of came down to the wire yesterday, watching that 125 number. Soon you'll know getting that 125th spot. But I cannot imagine the pressure. You know, they're trying to extend their season uh, so much on the line. And you look at a guy like Sean Stephanie, who made quite a leap from his performance. I mean, made clutch putt after clutch putt down the stretch, jumping from 133 to 123. And now we get set for this fun sort of four event playoff system that I think that we've all come to really enjoy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those were, those are those, um, the, the subplots in the, the bigger story that we were all following because they were big deals for those guys. Because yeah. uh, Stefani, he, he uh, basically was trying to keep his card too right. with that. So that's a lot of pressure. But yeah, you know, uh, the things I'm really looking forward to with the start of the FedEx Cup, uh, one of it is still Olympic hangover part. It's the fact that, um, you know, we're going to see we're going to see Jason Day, we're going to see um, Jordan Spieth, we're going to see uh, Roy McIlroy and Dustin Johnson, the players who uh, skipped the Olympics. They're going to be now they're going to be back in action at the FedEx Cup playoffs, and I think. You know, we're going to hear them being asked about, did you watch the Olympics? Mm -hmm. uh, what did you think? And in Rory McIlroy's case, it's, uh, you know, have you changed your mind? Uh, because he said he, he said he probably wouldn't watch it uh, early. I bet he watched. But then I, I think he tweeted that he, he was watching yeah. it, and he did. He, he, I think he did like it. So that is <laughs> going to be a huge story. And what those guys thought, uh, were they as enthralled as everybody else? Uh, did they regret missing it? I think that's a big storyline going into these FedEx Cup playoffs. Another one for me, Lisa, is... Um, Beth Page Black going there. It's, uh, you know, I loved covering events there. It's a golf course that has this big, brawny look. It is a grand stage, and it's a nice place to start the FedEx Cup uh, um, playoffs. I have not been there, but looking at those images and hearing the great stories, it's, it's definitely um, on my top, top of the list to, to, to yeah, see and experience and all of that. Also, props to Kyle Stanley because he made a nice jump too, getting in. Right. The top 125. I think you made an excellent point about uh, just hearing from some of those guys. Now I'm now I am excited to hear what they have to say about not showing up for the or opting not to go to the Olympics. Jordan Spieth and uh, um, Rory and and those guys. I think yeah. that will make for. I, an I would think it would be the first questions that they're yeah. asked this week. No it, it won't be about um, the start of the FedEx Cups, which. Uh, you know, there's $67 million to be played for in the next month. That's just, how do we ever get used to that? You know, $32 million in uh, prize money over those four events and $35 million in the bonus money, $10 million to the winner. And yeah. it's just, we almost take it for granted. But that's just staggering uh, amount of money to play for. They should call it the FedEx pot at the end of the rainbow, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. And you want to make any predictions? Predictions? Uh, you know... Are we going to see a, a big name like a Jason Day, or are we going to see maybe somebody like a Billy Horschel who we might not have expected? Yeah, th this. What's interesting to me about the FedEx Cup playoffs is, for those for those biggest name players, for Jordan Spieth, for Rory McIlroy, and Jason Day, it was a summer that was disappointing in that they didn't get any of those big prizes, the major championships that we thought they would uh, be in the running for and for Jordan it was you know really disappointing with that Masters finish but here's a way to more than salvage a year you know to to, to win the FedEx Cup playoffs and if you win a couple of these events it, it's gonna it's gonna be a very satisfying finish I think there will still be disappointment from not performing the majors but you know it's a great way to end the year yeah. 
um, the, the, the season is to win a FedEx Cup playoff. I'm looking forward to watching Stinson. He's been playing so well, and after his performance in the Open, and then to, to get the silver medal in the Olympics. I, I'm not sure anybody's playing better than him right now. I know I just said that about Jim Furyk, but Stinson and Furyk, um, I don't know. Maybe those two will battle down the stretch. We'll see, but yeah. definitely a lot to watch this week. First leg of the FedEx Cup playoffs, the Barclays at Bethpage Black. You mentioned that, so it's going to be a great week for golf. Happy Monday to you. Thanks for watching the Monday Scramble podcast. Dogs are an important part of our lives. That means protecting them from parasites. Ask your vet about NextGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus chews provide one-and-done monthly protection against fleas, ticks, heartworm disease, roundworms, and hookworms. Plus, they're delicious and easy to give. Use with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurologic disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting a preventive. Ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.